You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Isn't it beautiful to, to, to be in Crossroads and, and to have so many nationalities and languages and cultures represented? Just look around you. There's so much diversity. And as a staff, after summer, we've been, we've been looking at that and been looking at our staff team, actually, and the diversity in our team and how that affects how we understand each other and misunderstand each other. And, and Alice has helped us with that. And Alice Atkins, you might know her. She is married to J.D. Atkins, who has preached here, who actually introduced the James series to us. And Alice was great coming alongside of us and teaching us about cultural diversity and how we can understand and misunderstand each other. And Alice got a great background herself in cross-cultural uh, ministry, uh, actually within herself. I mean, she's born in the Philippines to, to missionary parents who came from Hong Kong and was raised in the U.S. So she is cross-cultural within herself, and she has a lot of experience in uh, uh, multi-ethnic settings. So uh, we've asked her to come and talk to us. Um, Alice has a... Has a a master's of uh, biblical counseling from, um, what was it again, uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. And uh, actually at this moment, she's teaching a course, Cross-Cultural Christianity at Tyndale. So Alice, why don't you come up and I pray for you. Give her a hand. So. Lord, thank you for Alice. And thank you for the support she's been to our staff and, and, and to me. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, use her to, to talk to us, to show us what the Bible has to say about cultural diversity and how we can grow as a church in, 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 in that. Lord, we pray that you would be here with your spirit, that you would speak to each and every one of us, Lord, and that we will hear what we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How a story ends is determinative. How a story ends shows the author's intent. Have you ever read a really good story, watched a really good movie, and when it got to the end, it was a beautiful weaving of a theme that came to a fulfillment that was so satisfying? Or maybe it was a surprise ending, and you were shocked that you missed the theme. I remember watching Sixth Sense, and the little boy said the same thing in the beginning and in the end. But I was like, oh, how could I have not seen it? And I wanted to sit there, rewind the whole thing in the movie theater just to say how much I missed. How could I have not seen that theme? It was so obvious. How a story ends emphasizes the author's intent. How a story ends emphasizes the author's goal. Let's look at God's story how he ends his big story, his meta-narrative. We're going to look at three sections from Revelation and explore a prominent theme. So read with me. Revelation 7, 9 to 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This passage is so fascinating to me. I quite love it. Recorded here is a great multitude that John, the apostle, sees and hears. It's a lot of people there. John couldn't count it. No one can count it. It's a lot, a lot of people from every nation. Here the word Asian is ethnos, ethnicity. I might be using that word a bit. So every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before God's throne. This list is very thorough. Every single nation in this world is included. But let's say you're not the dominant ethnicity of your nation. Doesn't matter. It says every tribe. Every tribe will be there. You know, I, I looked up, India has 705 ethnic groups that are recognized as scheduled tribes. All 705 tribes will be there in heaven. You might be a people without a land, unrecognized, aboriginal, native groups. No nation recognizes you. You will be there. Wait, maybe you speak a special dialect. Frisian will be spoken in heaven. I remember talking to someone here um, who was telling me he, they lived in a special part in India, up in the mountains, and there's a special dialect that nobody really s spoke, maybe in Gujarati, I don't remember. Um, but your people group will be there because it says every people, every language, every single language will be there. Not a single sociolinguistic group is excluded. This is the multi-ethnic, multicultural picture that includes every nation, tribe, and people, and language in God's kingdom. And guess what? I will not be Alice Atkins. Do you know why? It says there's no marriage in heaven. I will not be married to JD. But somehow, some way, you will know, you will see, maybe hear, that I am Cantonese-American. Maybe I can sing in Cantonese. Maybe I can sing a praise song in Cantonese, which I can't right now. And my aunties and uncles at my home church would be so delighted if I could. I can sing two nursery rhymes about obeying your elders and your parents in Cantonese right now. What does it look like? I'm not absolutely sure, but we know John sees and hears every nation, every language, every tribe, every people group. This picture is significant. Heaven is not colorblind. Often when we think about heaven, actually I think we usually don't think, we just assume um, that our cultures and ethnicities will be somehow abolished in heaven. It'll be, you know, mashed into this one big thing, a monolithic, supracultural, maybe angelic, uniform, single identity. But it's not. It's not. Our cultural and ethnic distinctives are eternally identifiable. Our cultural and ethnic distinctives are eternally identifiable. Now, sometimes um, here we don't like to talk about our ethnic diversity as we're afraid it's going to cause division. But we see here in heaven that there is perfect diversity and perfect unity. The huge crowd of people are worshiping together, all wearing white robe, all holding palm branches, all in one place with one person, with one purpose, 
to acknowledge that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. They are all in one accord to worship God together. That is God's vision for his church. God's end goal is an integrated and diverse community. Unity and diversity. For those of you who want more of a pictorial view, often we think that multicultural community should be soup. Let's boil it all down to one flavor. Or sometimes we think community should be in separate compartments, or we actually just end up acting like we should be in separate compartments, should be a salad bar. But friends, the vision for heaven is a lecker slaw, a delicious salad. But because my culture doesn't quite like salad, I also put a lecker fried rice for you. <laughs> Where each color, each flavor is distinct and recognizable, but put together brings a unique melange, a unique blend of flavor, a unique leckerness. So we ask practically, how does this look, Alice? Practically, how do we see this? See, perfect unity and perfect diversity exists. In God, it both exists because he is God, he's powerful, he's amazing. We even see in the Trinity, three distinct persons, one true eternal God. Unity, diversity. But yet, we are not at the end of God's story. We're sort of, you know, near the end, but still in the middle. The total fulfillment has not come. This picture has not come to total focus. Um, the kingdom has started, but it's not in complete fulfillment. For us, there's a tension. So instead of being able to hold perfectly both of them, it's a little more of a, a pinging back and forth in terms of unity and diversity. So here, what I say is if you tend to be a unity person, like let's united, lean into a little bit of the diversity. If you're a diversity person, lean a little bit into the unity. See, what happens is when we overfocus on diversity, it does become division. It becomes navel-gazing, focusing on ourselves and our uniqueness, how amazing, awesome we are. This often, often leads to a us versus them dynamic, and then it sometimes leads to power struggles and conflicts. If you don't do it my way, it's not the right way. But also, if we overfocus on unity, it becomes uniformity and conformity. We leave all our distinctive cultural practices behind. We mute it. Instead of something colorful and beautiful, it becomes gray. In this gray culture, sometimes we, you know, we think we're, it's out of good intention, right? Like, I don't want to bring this sort of more interesting practice that I do from my cultural community. It might cause some problems. It might cause tension. Oh, for the group, the group, I'll just hold back. Actually, what happens in that situation is when you overfocus on unity and it becomes uniformity, it's usually whoever is the majority in the group or whoever set up the group first. So a little story. When my husband and I started ministry to college students, um, we were work working at our alma mater. And our fellowship was pretty diverse. We were pretty proud of it. It was more diverse than any other fellowship on campus. We had, you know, an African-American Worship leader, Asian-American woman, Latino on the base. It looked very diverse, so diverse. The national, the national office sent camera crews to take pictures of our group. But it was interesting, as I realized as the years went by, that there were actually certain types of people that were still uncomfortable in our diverse group. I realized that 
people from more expressive cultures were less comfortable in a group. We lean toward more serious, reserved, intense. But if you wanted something more expressive, loud, happy, yeah, 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 they didn't feel comfortable in our group. And so that was surprising to me. You see, even if you have cultural diversity in the room, you can still be a salad bar. We can all still sit in our little compartments and not mix. How do we toss that salad together? In multi-ethnic settings, I often say, if you totally feel comfortable in the whole service, maybe we defaulted to your culture for the whole service. In a truly multicultural setting, there will be some point and some time you will feel uncomfortable because everybody is bringing in their differences. Everybody is bringing in the way they worship God. And not only do we want everyone at the table, we want everyone to bring their gifts to the table. So read with me here, Revelation 21, 24 to 26. And the nations will walk by its light, God's light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are in the, written in the Lamb's book of life. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the new Jerusalem. Through the gates that never shut, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, they're streaming into the city to worship our Lord. Glory, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Have you ever thought about this passage? What exactly is the glory and honor of the nations? What is the splendor of the nations? What will be brought in? What will be Dutch glory and honor to be brought into the New Jerusalem? What would be South African glory and honor? What will be Japanese glory and honor? What will be Nigerian glory and honor? Ukrainian? It's an interesting thought. Some say it's worship styles. Maybe there will be Gregorian chants. Because here the context is they're worshiping God, right? Um, hymns, contemporary worship styles, soul music, different worship styles from your culture. I'm hoping there will be some great dancing, and I'm hoping I'll have better rhythm in heaven. And I'm hoping that some of our cultures that are more into dancing will lead us in worship to our God. And I do think there will be some more solemn kind of worship styles there too. Some more contemplative. Div some people say there's to be a diversity of cuisine. And I certainly hope so because I love food. Certain passages in scripture does talk about God preparing a big feast for the nation. So it's interesting, what kind of foods will our culture bring in? What kind of lekkerness will be there? Some theologians actually think that there will be like art forms, that cultures will bring the best of their art forms, and it will be displayed in heaven. Interesting thing to think about. The kings of the nation bring all their best to give glory to God. And nothing will be impure. It will be all pure goodness. I believe, see, God is so complex and so glorious, so magnificent, that one culture cannot reflect all of who he is. This diversity actually brings him glory. 
I believe that each culture particularly reflects a side of God more brightly than other cultures. And we actually need each other to see who God is, his full goodness, his full worthiness, his full greatness. Well, I also think that in our broken world, certain cultures bring deeper brokenness in need more of Jesus' redemption. And when Jesus redeems it, it'll be more beautiful. Um, I believe that. And so as we interact with different cultures, we see more of who God is, his complexity, and his beauty. Let me share a few stories of how I've seen this in my life. Uh, as a cross-cultural trainer, I need to make a few quick caveats. Culture is not static. It's, it changes. Um, when I talk about my culture, some generalizations will happen. The descriptions are descriptive, not prescriptive. So my experience of Chinese culture, it has some archetypes, some values that Chinese people put into it, but not all Chinese people will be like this. Does that make sense? So those are my caveats. And one of my caveats is also, um, in a room like this, there will be some of you who grew up very different from your culture. Actually, you have pain from your culture because your personality is so different from the archetype that the, your culture wanted. And for those of you, uh, I would say bring those hurts to Jesus. Um, come to the prayer team afterwards. Get some healing for that because God made your culture beautiful and sometimes we can't see it when we're so different or when we've received a lot of trauma and hurt from our cultures. See, even in the caveats, there's lessons to be learned. So down to the story. I was teaching from the book of Mark. And I've already taught this passage maybe three or four times. And it's about Jesus casting out a demon. And I actually had a Hmong student. They're spelled H-M-O-N-G. They are an ethnic minority group in China and in Southeast Asia. In Chinese, we call them Miaozu. So I had a Hmong student there. And he came from a shamanist culture with, you know, witch doctors. They're more in tune with the spiritual world. So since most of us in the room grew up in rational post-enlightenment West, I was like, oh, would you explain demons to us? Because we really don't understand demons. And you know what he said? It's so scary, I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, it's okay, just share a little bit with us. What the demons are, what are demons like? He's like, it's so scary, I don't want to talk about it. And at that point, I realized that when I had taught this passage, I had actually belittled Jesus' power. When I taught this passage, I always, the application was like, what are the demons in your life? Little D demons. Like, maybe you care too much about your grades or not enough about your grades. Maybe you need some help self-discipline. Maybe um, you care too much about what other people think. Now, these are important things that we need to wrestle to. But in this passage, it's not talking about these little self-help demons. Jesus was casting out huge demons, right? It's not, he, this was like a cosmic throwdown. It was a great spiritual confrontation where Jesus emerges victorious and supreme. Jesus is sovereign and has cosmic dominance over the spiritual world. Jesus was not just helping out with us out with our own little personal issues. It was so much bigger. And so this, to this Hmong student, my direct application was, Jesus is so powerful, you do not need to be scared about sharing about demons. That is how powerful our Jesus is. I encountered Jesus in a new way as I studied scripture with people from different cultures. 
as we interact with different cultures, we experience more of who God is, his complexity, his beauty. If you are here and you are new and you are exploring who Jesus is or someone just dragged you here, um, or you, maybe you're re-exploring who Jesus is, I invite you to ask the diverse members of this congregation why they follow Jesus. It's striking that so many nations are here. I think in one of our surveys, it was like 56 nations are represented in Crossroads Church. Why do all these people want to follow Jesus? I encourage you to ask. As we engage with each other, we will understand and know Jesus better. Let me share an, some more stories um, from my own experience um, growing up biculturally. The, the Chinese immigrant culture I grew up with and the church tradition was very hierarchical. Respect your elders. Obey your elders. Remember the nursery rhymes? Call everybody by their titles. To this day, I have a hard time calling pastors by their first name. Uh, it will be always Pastor Paul, although I'm trying. And then back in the day, it would be Pastor Smith with a little bow. I but, but this sort of hierarchy also affected how I viewed God. God was Lord. He is to be respected to, listened to, obeyed. But he was distant. It wasn't until college that as I started learning in my fellowship with more of a, you know, white evangelical culture that I could have a relationship with my God. He is personal. He can be a counselor, a doting father, not a distant father, a doting father that you can call daddy. He can be a friend, someone who is intimate, accessible, who I can draw near to through Jesus. In my communication with God, it's not one of obligation or just obeying. It's not just following the rules, but it's a two-way communication. Yes, I approach him with fear and reverence, but he is also accessible. So bringing both of these two cultures together gave me a more balanced understanding of how to interact with God. Now, you can take it super far, the egalitarian culture, and all of a sudden, you and God are, you know, equal, buddy-buddy pals. You know, that's not the picture. But it's also in the hierarchical culture, you can also make God inaccessible. I felt he was inaccessible to me as a child. Another way I explain this sometimes is my colleague, Reen Van der Torn, uh, describes culture in three categories. Conceptual, relational, and intuitive. And, and so in this way... Um, it's, I like the way this categorizing, it's simplifying it a little bit, but conceptual are rational, system thinking, relational are more, more relational, prioritizing relationship. And intuitive is more mystical, supernatural, in tune with your feelings. Much of my Christian upbringing was conceptual. It was through the rationality of the mind. Uh, in fifth grade, uh, I studied the inerrancy of the Bible. We were right next to a seminary, so, you know, they practiced their words on us. Sixth grade was on eschatology. And if you don't know what those words means, it's things you learn in seminary, but I knew them as a sixth grader. And I'm grateful for that foundation. That is why I can stand before you now. But it really affected the way I viewed God, only on an intellectual way. And as I encountered other Christians from different backgrounds and cultures and church tradition, I began to be challenged in the way I, I view God and I related to God. And so during 2019 on a sabbatical, um, 
I tried to push into these relational intuitive ways of engaging God. He gave me this picture. It's little girl Alice with Jesus in a field of flowers. I asked a friend to draw it for me, and she drew tulips. And so this was so significant. This was before we decided to come to Netherlands. This was, and this may help me understand that, hey, God is saying, Jesus is saying, actually, Jesus promised to me in the Netherlands was that it's going to be a new way of experiencing him. And it has been. It has been. So Crossroads' practical vision is encounter Jesus, embrace one another, engage the world. I think we can express Crossroads' vision more fully when we bring the gifts from our ethnic and cultural backgrounds to the table. As we wrestle with what our gifts are and as we seek God's redemption for the unpure sides of our cultures, we will encounter Jesus more. We will embrace one another better, and we will engage the world more vibrantly. My sense in this room is that many of us hold back our cultural gifts. My invitation to you is bring your cultural gifts to the table. Now, we're going to have to figure it out as a community. 56 cultures is quite complex. And we will have to look at what, we're, what that would look like, what would God calling to us to, and, you know, what the staff, um, yeah, is how God is leading the staff. But I think we should journey in this together. I do think we will see a more of who God is, who Jesus is, and the richness of Scripture will emerge if we step out of the gray, the conformity, and bring all, all our cultural perspectives. It's not going to be easy, but I think the richness will be worth it. Now, I do need to say, we're going to keep it real here. There are some times where you have to hold back your cultural gifts, or you've given too much of your cultural gifts. So, discern from the Lord. When do, when do you bring all the gifts? When are you holding back and why? And then when do you need to hold back so that others can bring the cultural gifts? So the last passage I wanted to go through was Revelation 5, 9 to 10. And it says, as they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I just wanted to share this passage because not only is multi-ethnicity, multiculturalness is important to God's story and end goal, it's also important because he went to great lengths to make it happen. Jesus actually died for this. Jesus actually his, was slain for this. We had seen that lamb was repeated in the passages. And here we see Jesus as the lamb who purchased for God every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is how important the diversity is to God. This is how important the nations are to God. Actually, God will not be satisfied until every people group is represented. That is why Jesus says in the gospel, the gospel will be preached to all nations. And then the end will come in Matthew 24, 14. This is how we get perfect unity and diversity is through Jesus. Part of the gospel is bringing the nations together in all their distinctiveness into the kingdom. Everyone is included. Jesus is for everyone. There is not, it's not just for one culture. It's not for only one certain people type. Jesus is for everyone. And in the end, Jesus reigns on high and is worthy of our praise, 
our glory, our honor. We can have this foretaste of heaven here at Crossroads. We already have the ingredients. Let's toss it together. Let's make it a lekker salad or a lekker fried rice. May Jesus get the praise, honor, and glory as we do this. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you. We honor you. You are worthy to be praised. And we are fascinated by your creativity, that there can be diversity and unity at the same time. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room, that your spirit would speak directly to them what you are saying, what they are to do, how they are to move forward. And at the end of days, we want to be worshiping together with you, to you, with every tribe, people, nation, and tongue. All glory and praise be to the Lamb. Amen.